Hello and welcome to our brand new show. No, it's not. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. Made a switch. Hi, everybody. I'm Naveed. Welcome to 2020 and uh, first episode of uh, Digital Switch as our podcast. How are you, Sonia? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Happy New Year. So for those of you that may have missed our last episode of the year, shame on you, <laughs> and are very confused why this is now the digital switch and Chain in the Valley is no more, um, we really wanted to broaden our topics of conversation for 2020. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't still talk about blockchain and DLT, but it's going to be a piece of a much larger puzzle, which is digital transformation. So. It's very relevant. I was reading that close to 70% of all financial services companies and companies in general have a strong digital transformation strategy for 2020. And if you are not an expert or you're fairly new to this concept of digital transformation, this episode will be really great in explaining all of that. And this leads me to introduce our first guest of 2020. Woo woo. Erica Lunsford, who is Pure Nova's <laughs> Global Head of Solutions Engineering. So Erica, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Would you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I spent the first half of my career working for uh, startups in financial services. Um, and we were developing things like commission payout software, general ledger, um, correspondent billing software, and wealth management software. So a variety of different areas I worked in in financial services. And I actually started my career in Denver, Colorado, worked there for a few years, and then moved out to New York City. And I ended up at BNY Mellon starting in 2004 and just left there this last summer to come here to Pier Nova. And at BNY Mellon, I actually um, started in their government securities clearance business, which today um, settles all treasury securities that happen in the, the world. And um, at the time, they had about a 60% of that market. So, And that market's about 3 to $6 trillion a day of settlement. And then I worked as part of the um, industry committee for the tri-party reform after the financial crisis, which was a really interesting project because it taught me a lot about change and, and how culture has to change as you're also putting technology in place. And it's very difficult um, because people um, get uncomfortable when they start to go through change. But sometimes those things have to happen in order for us to move forward as a society. But the best types of changes that could happen are those where they don't really feel it, but they embrace it. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the goal of like a digital transformation is getting to that point where you can embrace change. And um, I moved out to California in 2016 and worked as part of their innovation lab and so learned a lot about the modern technology since I've moved out here. So it's been a great learning experience. Fantastic. Thank well, you so much. Yeah, for that. Um, we heard you just talk a little bit about digital transformation. You gave a great little intro, but what uh, what is it exactly and why are we still talking about it in 2020? Well, you know, digital transformation isn't really a process that should ever be stopping because technology is always evolving, processes are evolving, and the things that people need to do are always evolving. And so it's made up of, you know, people, process, and technology coming together. And it's predicated on the state of technology at that point. So sometimes technology isn't mature enough to do certain things that you want to be able to do. 
And so when you think about enterprise digital transformation, a lot of the words that people have in their heads are things like innovation, um, operational efficiency, data management. Those are all a little bit different, though, because operational efficiency is really an outcome. Innovation is a process. It's a discovery process. It's a way to get people to focus on things to break down barriers. So when a large organization grows, they have to reach scale. And so when they reach scale, they also specialize. That causes um, silos to get created within a large organization because they've become so specialized. Innovation is the opposite of that. It's to break through that specialization and to start bringing common processes across an organization. And then the last piece, which was data management, is really an enabler for all of this. You can't make a decision about what to innovate if you don't have the data. You can't become more operationally efficient if you don't have the data to understand what needs to change. And so I think those three tenants are really important as digital transformation happens. And then some outcomes of that are like your client experience. You know, every business is always focused on revenue and cost. I mean, that's how businesses grow. And so your client experience is key in all of this. And so it's really about the people. So two things, right? So in order for any kind of process optimization to occur. There, to me, it seems like you need, two, you need two pieces, right? One is the cultural change that uh, perhaps uh, drives that process optimization, transformation, whatever you want to call it. And of course, you need the right tools to do it, right? So I want to be very clear, and I, and I appreciate Sonia mentioning this at the beginning, that we're talking about digital transformation as a whole. But we're really talking about process optimization, right? Meaning that in, for the most part, we're talking about better quality of data, we're talking about analytics, we're talking about um, maybe some technologies, some types of transformation that we've already seen in the last decade or so, APIs, cloud, those kinds of things. But um, is it fair to say that you need, in essence, both pieces to have a successful uh, go at this? I think it's important to know where you're coming from in order to see where you need to go to. Um, but hopefully, it's not a straight across automate the process. It's really about discovering the areas in which you can eliminate processes or completely change the way. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's always that analogy of the mouse trap. Are you making the mouse trap? run faster or are you actually coming up with a new way to do it and so ultimately as a firm you want to try to get to the point where you're finding the new way to do things but you do need to understand what you have in order to get there and you need to be able to do that quickly how do you get your arms around what your current process is so that you can make sure you don't break anything as you move forward right so you you have to start somewhere right mm -hmm. um I think it would be great if you could give us an example of a digital transformation of sorts that the audience can, can relate to. And then I guess we can kind of build this topic from there. Yeah, I think actually one of the best digital transformations, most successful, has been Google Maps. So if you go back, way back, a couple decades ago, um, we used to use paper maps 
and we would have to fold them and unfold them and it was always kind of a little bit of craziness and and then if you really got lost you had to stop at gas stations and ask people for directions um, or while you were walking down the street you had to constantly be asking people where you were going that's why cars to this day have a little map light right for the guy sitting on the passenger side of yeah. the front because <laughs> you also had to read it in the dark I've done it but go on <laughs> and then the next set of tools that came out were like your map quests where it was great I could print all my instructions out but I had to follow that route the next day mm-hmm. where I would take my instructions and you know drive from New York up to Boston or whatever um, and then you had Google come along and they actually put a bunch of technologies together so you now had technologies that had matured to a certain state so somebody had a great idea um, their technology was really the navigation itself and how to get from point A to point B. Then um, that was a desktop application. Google then was going to roll that out as a web app so that it was using the internet, which was a fairly new technology even at that time. And then they bought another company which had geospatial data and visualization so that people could start to imagine what it looked like as you were going through so that you could visualize where you were going. And then they also bought a real-time traffic organizer so that you could actually see where the best routes were. And so then the other thing that came together was infrastructure, cell phones. So 2008, they put it on iOS and Android. You then also had improvements in cell phone towers where it could get better and better in even triangulating where you were to get the feedback on the data. So if you really look at what they did, they started with a base set of data. They put it in the hands with users. Users were the ones who were actually interacting with that data in two ways. One was the app was tracking where they were to see how accurate the instructions were. The second way is that they actually have feedback loops where people can put things in. I noticed even recently in London, got out of the train, they said, how crowded was that train? And I was able to tell them, and then they put that into their database. So people got immediate value out of it. But they were the ones interacting with it, and so the data got better and better and better. And so we get more and more features, and Google actually hit a billion monthly users in 2017. So that's a pretty successful digital transformation. And the best thing about a digital transformation like that is that you don't even know that you got digitally transformed. (laughs) We all wanted to use it. Yeah. And so that's really the best kind is something where people, you need to go to where your users are. Where is the empathy for the people and what are they trying to do? I, I think that's a really important point here that they made it so intuitive. They made it so easy that, you know, could you still use a map? Of course, but why would you? Right. It wasn't like you really had much of a choice, but to kind of be a part of this uh, renaissance of sorts. Right. So I think that's that's really key for what we want to talk about next, which is, you know, we'll talk about this in just a second. Why why digital transformation is so important for financial institutions today? But um, there has to be a driving factor, some kind of a leverage that gets people to want to do what you want them to do, right? It's not enough to say, well, this is simply a better way of doing it. It costs you, you know, saves you money and costs or whatever. It has to be something more than that. Is that fair? Yeah, it is. And I think that 
when we start to look at financial services, um, you know, the core of financial services is delivered by the products and services are delivered by operations and technology, a combination of those two. And so your primary user in financial services is operations. And they have a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. Um, you know, they, they have to optimize their processes and make sure that the services that were um, sold to their clients is what's actually being delivered. And those services have, you know, um, fiduciary value to them. You know, it, this isn't just like a, a widget. I didn't get my sunglasses, and so I get another pair. This is like millions of dollars that are passing through these systems. And... Um, they also have to manage their teams and make sure their teams can be accurate and timely and make sure that their teams have a future to be able to develop their own careers. And they really need to improve that client experience as they're doing all of this. And so they have a lot of responsibility. And they're working in an environment where there's been so many mergers and acquisitions that there's a million different types of systems to do even single types of transactions. And those systems range from all different ages. I mean, you go all the way back to the 60s for some of this technology, mm -hmm. all the way to client server in the 90s to, you know, distributed applications today. And all of those are there delivering the service or product to their clients. And so they have to manage those. So, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about specialization. So they have become very specialized people who know a certain tr transaction or a certain system or something like that, which creates silos. And if you think about the, the Google example a little bit, we had silos back then too. Your silos was that gas station owner only knew certain mileage around him. That certain map that you were using was only for a certain city or for a certain state. You had silos. You right. couldn't see the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And so what Google did was allow all of that to start opening up so you could see that. And that's what operations needs. They need to be able to lift their head up and see the big picture and not be doing very repetitive tasks all day long. A lot of the people in operations are highly educated. They've gone to some of the best schools in our country. And then when they get into an operational situation dealing with large sums of money, they're in Excel. They're trying to manually figure things out. They're um, emailing to each other. They're making phone calls to each other. Instead of being able to proactively think about things and move their firm forward because they really are the the face of that product and service that gets delivered by that firm. So, you know, I think the <clears throat> the simplest maybe way of solving all of this complexity would be to kind of <laughs> rip everything out and start from scratch, right? But that's not reality. That's just not how things work. You can't shut down the financial networks of the world for five years just to fix these things, right? So what's the what's the second best option? And to me, it sounds like, you know, you pick one little area at a time and to try to, and you try your best to sort of streamline a lot of things, um, optimize a lot of things, give your operational users visibility that is uh, sort of at a range where you can kind of, you know, very similar to your map analogy, where you can kind of zoom into an area or you can zoom out. And you have this this front-to-back visibility that's that we talk about all the time, right? One thing that's happened a lot um, in the last, say, 20 years or so is that 
companies have understood these things. And that's why initially Sonia was asking, why are we still talking about digital transformation in 2020, right? <laughs> Hasn't this already happened? It's difficult. And mm -hmm. there are some major, major challenges. So let's start from that for just a second. What are some of the reasons why this hasn't happened yet? Aside from the fact that it's just a really big scale of, you know, all kinds of applications and all that stuff. What is it that, because we know a lot of companies have started transformation projects and either it's just dragged on forever or it never really materialized or maybe it didn't really turn out the way that they had hoped. Why is that? Yeah, I, I think there's a few things. I, I think one is that there are pockets of success through all these firms. I, I think they've all taken on some projects where they've been able to demonstrate being able to use the new technologies in new ways and, and make a different experience for themselves and their clients. But it's an ongoing process. And there's you know thousands of people in these organizations that have to come up to speed so there is a lot of communication that has to happen and communication takes time you know for anybody to understand something you generally have to hear it five times and so if you multiply that by the number of people that are in the industry that's a lot of communication is this part of the readiness that you were talking about with, say, Google Maps, where you needed to have some infrastructure in place, so you had to have some yeah, so basic... Yeah, that's, so that's the technology side right. of it. So there was an interesting thing I went to at an IDEO event, and they were showing each of these innovations that had occurred. And on the, the board, it also showed the, um, the lineage of how that came about. So it was past innovations allowed for this newest mm -hmm. innovation to be mm -hmm. there. And that's what we're still seeing. You know, it took a while for technology to get to the point where people in financial services could be comfortable not being on a mainframe necessarily. You have to have a lot of resilience in those systems. You have to have a lot of those types of things that just weren't there quite there in the 90s. Like if you look at client server and, you know, three-tiered architecture, it just was not as stable as a mainframe. And so it took some time. So you didn't touch your mainframe still. You still kept a lot of your core functions there. And it was also cheaper to run on a mainframe. So cost was part of that decision. Um, resiliency was a huge part of that decision. And so those things take time to work through. So let's talk about the Keynote platform, how it mm -hmm. fits in what we're discussing today. So it sounds like there needs to be a degree of readiness, both from a technology perspective, maybe cultural, organizational, um, before anybody could really sort of successfully um, execute on a, on a project like what we're talking about, right? Imagine I'm a financial institution. <laughs> that sounded weird. <laughs> I'm part of a financial institution. <laughs> And I want to sort of begin this journey of digital transformation. What do I need to have? Do I have to have the best data to begin with? Well, no. I, I think you have to put a platform in place that allows the people who use the data on a daily basis to use it and make it better. So if you look at the Google example, the first step was having data. So they had some maps. They may not have been the best. Satellite technology mm -hmm. hadn't been there. You know, all these things. And they hadn't had user feedback yet either. 
So you need something to start. So you need something to start. And so then once you start that, then you need to let the people who are the subject matter experts be able to define how it links together and what their processes are. They need to define that. They need to articulate that rather than setting up another process where they've got to teach a whole group of people and then that group of people has to translate that into something else. You need to bring it to those people. And so it's really your operations people being able to use their own data, be able to define their data, and then being able to get value out of that by being able to find problems that then tells them where to go look in their operation. Now, once you have enough of this, so let's say that you take one of your processes and you bring all the data in for it and you hook that together and you define the rules to tell you what should be true, both from a process point of view as well as from a data point of view, then you can start to get trends on that and you can start to understand which of those things that should be true are not consistently true and where you have to constantly overcome them by manually doing something, you now have a prioritization queue. You can now start to say, well, this one issue with this process is causing me the most pain. So I need to fix that. Now you can take that information and feed it into your innovation queue, if that's how your organization works, or directly to your technology provider within your organization, and get that truly automated now. Because you've shown a light on it, and you actually know how big it is. Or even if there's 30 things that maybe you could focus on, you can see which one is the most important to you. And so you, as an operations manager, can actually see that, versus having a whole you know, waterfall analysis go on, you're actually interacting with the data, but in such a way that it's not directly affecting your operation because you're still using the systems that have the operation there. So what do we, so what's the, what's the promise here, right? Um, We're talking about uh, obviously visibility um, at a scale that maybe has been, difficult to achieve today. Um, but what do I get out of that? What's what's the end result here? Well, the end result is really an optimized op- operation. That's what you're going for. And so the way to do that, just like with Google Maps, is that you start using the data. And the people who are experts in it are the ones using the data. And they're able to get value out of it right away. But then as they push more and more automation into the process, then it gets better. And so that's really what it's about. So we're we're essentially optimizing and maybe streamlining some of the things that already exist, right? Mm -hmm. Is that more of a top-line growth that that essentially this all brings together? Is it more of a cost-saving benefit or is it both? Um, I think it's both. I think you generally are going to start on the what I'll call the the cost side as well as um, freeing up people to think a little bit more. Um, you know, because I think that that's a huge problem as well is not being able to focus on things to then come up with some of those more creative things. I mean, these people are subject matter experts, but they're stuck 
just making little transaction changes all day long, but they do know their business. And so what this is allowing them to do then is maybe not, if you can automate some of those things that you do manually today, now you can analyze the data that's sitting there. And you, you can look for other opportunities. Maybe there's opportunities in, well, this type of client that does this type of business also does this other type of business. Maybe we need to talk to them about how we can help them in that area. So there's, there's growth opportunities there. They could also discover maybe, because as you break down silos, that I do exactly the same thing as a person in an entirely different line of business. And how can we bring that together and come up with something unique to the market because we're bringing it together from two different perspectives. So a lot of this is is building that um, fabric where you can actually see the big picture. I think that's great. We don't often think of in terms of operational uh, the operational team that there's also a chance for more opportunity. So by saving them time from these manual processes, they can actually allocate resources and efforts to things that will make them money or um, make a customer more satisfied. So that's a, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, because you can actually um, start to look at it more. How can they consult with the clients a little bit more mm-hmm. on how to run their business a little bit differently? Because the advantage of being a service provider is that you get to see across a lot of different clients and they're then able to you know, help people. So I guess all of these financial institutions and all these fintech companies, they have a digital transformation strategy for 2020. But I'm wondering, what would you say are some of the obstacles for actually achieving digital transformation? Um, I think it's really um, prioritization is the number one obstacle and figuring out what to prioritize. Um, Because oftentimes you don't have the insights to know that this is actually the most important thing you should be working on as an organization. So to talk about digital transformation in the abstract, you could mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, we want to digitally transform. But where? Where do you want to start? And so it's really important to pick a spot, start there, and then you'll learn from that, and then you can move on to the next. Right. And and is it fair to say that priorities are very, very specific to organizations, meaning that maybe today in, in my organization, my priority is maybe optimizing a certain part of my business, whereas maybe someone else is trying to expand or something like that, meaning that there is no one fits all type sort of approach to this. And that's why we've always said this uh, in on the show that the best way to um, examine perhaps if this is something that applies to you or is something that is useful to you is to start somewhere, somewhere small, something that you can maybe you have the most visibility on to begin with. Is that fair? It is. And it's really where your um, subject matter expertise is. It's really important also when you start to pick an area that you have um, people from all the disciplines sitting at the table. Um, you know, operations tends to be at the core of this because they're delivering the product or the service. Technology needs to be sitting there next to them. You need the, the product people sitting next to them. So all of those perspectives need to come together because oftentimes you can also discover things, um, you know, like if you had the client-facing person sitting there, 
that maybe operations doesn't even know that there's a certain issue going on at the client site. And so by having all those voices in the room, it, it helps to focus. And so when you're prioritizing, you need to look at how can you bring the multiple disciplines together? Um, what is the potential benefit at the end of that? And how are you going to measure that benefit? Erica, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We want to have you uh, on regularly moving forward whenever uh, time permits uh, for you. But uh, it's uh, it really is nice to uh, be able to sort of talk about these these uh, these topics at, at this level, which is we, we, we've always sort of wanted this show to be something that anybody could listen to and get something out of and not necessarily something very, very specific or salesy. And um, I think people such as yourself bring a certain um, viewpoint that's uh, quite intriguing and unique. And, uh, and again, I really do appreciate you uh, sitting down with us today. Thank you so much for being here, Erica. And thank you to all of our listeners. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or digitalswitch.show. Have a great week.